Our reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 40. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what had been said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and so to be a sign that will be spoken against, so the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then had been widowed for 84 years. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. Before the first service, Ian Jarvis and I said to David, this is one of our favourite passages of scripture, which rather built the pressure on David. But David's parents are also here, which rather builds the pressure somewhat more. Um, So we should pray for David as he comes. He was very, very good. So um, so there we are. There you were. Father, we thank you for David. We thank you for his passion for understanding your scriptures and communicating your living word. And we pray, Lord, that he would be able to set all jokes aside and know your Holy Spirit guiding each word that he speaks. And that we would also know your Holy Spirit bringing revelation to us so that we might live here as people who have fresh insight into Jesus Christ. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.
Morning. Good morning. Has anybody seen the film The Blues Brothers? Anyone seen The Blues Brothers? A few of you? Yeah? Cool. It's a very silly film uh, starring Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi uh, about uh, two brothers who get out of prison and uh, discover that the uh, convent school uh, which uh, they've grown up in uh, is in danger of closing. And <clears throat> they decide they're going to, they're blues musicians, and they decide they're going to uh, hold a benefit concert to raise money for this, uh, this convent school. And along the way, uh, they meet Aretha Franklin, who sings RSPCT to them. Uh, they meet some Nazis, who they punch in the face. Um, they meet Cab Calloway, who does a brilliant version of Minnie the Moocher. And it's all very, very, very silly. Um, but all the way through, they keep on, every person they meet, they tell the same thing to. People who've seen it, can anyone remember what that thing is? They got it at the 9.30 service. <laughs> We're on a mission from God, yes. They keep on saying every time someone tries to get in their way or questions what they're doing, they say, you can't stop us. We're on a mission from God. And this passage and what I want to talk to you about today is about a mission from God that we're all on. Um, every good story has a beginning. So just begin at the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. He created a, uh, a garden where people would live in a close and loving relationship with him. And then people, by their own actions, excluded themselves from that garden and from that relationship. And so the mission of God begins. And the mission of God is to bring people back into that relationship. God chose a family. He chose the family of a man called Abraham, who's later called Abraham, and his wife. And he chose them to start this mission. They had a son, and their son had a son, and their son had a son, and their son had a bunch of sons and one daughter. And that family went and lived in Egypt. And uh, many, many, many years passed, and they grew this, this family into uh, a, a people of... Uh, Tens of thousands of people, but a slave people uh, in Egypt. And God, after they had grown into this great nation, he freed them from their captivity in Egypt and he led them out into the desert where he gave them laws which would help them on their mission. Because this family had the mission and now it was the nation's mission. And so he gave them laws and he led them through the desert uh, and led them to a land and gave this land to them. And that was going to be their base of operations, and that became uh, the country uh, of Israel. Um, and some more time passed, and God uh, gave them uh, kings, particularly King David, who was kind of remembered as being the preeminent king of Israel, uh, and his son Solomon, who uh, built the temple in Jerusalem, the center of worship where God would come and dwell, and then everyone, all nations, would be able to see that this was the place where God lived and would know that that was where they could come if they wanted to be in relationship with God. And they looked in the law and they found uh, guidance for how they were to conduct worship in the temple and uh, rules for their priests. Um, and so 
the, the, the mission, the base of mission was established. But sadly, the people strayed from their mission. And so God raised up prophets who spoke with God's voice to call the people back to the right worship of God and back to this mission to be a light to all nations. And the people strayed again and the prophets called them back and they strayed again and the prophets called them back. And they strayed again and again and again and again. And in the end, like a, a parent must with a child, God punished the people. And he took from them their land and the temple was destroyed. And they went off into captivity once more. But God did not forget them. He continued to speak through the prophets and he told them that there would be a time where they would retake the land and they would rebuild the temple. And we read about that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which chronologically, they're in the middle of the Old Testament, chronologically they're at the end. And they also, the prophets also spoke of a future person who would come, who would sit on the throne of David and would restore the mission of Israel. And Israel would once more be a light to the nations. And then the prophets fell silent for hundreds of years. And the people waited, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And then one day, a very young couple brought a little boy little baby, to the temple to be dedicated. And that boy was Jesus. And Luke, in his presentation of uh, these events, wants us to be aware of all that history. I sometimes joke uh, about sermons that every sermon, rightly told, begins at the beginning of Genesis and kind of works up to wherever it is the passage is. But we don't do that because otherwise the first five minutes of every sermon would be completely identical. So we can, you have to just assume that. It was really important, I thought, this morning to highlight that because I think Luke expects it to be in your head. Um, can we get the uh, painting up again? Oh, it's already there. Beautiful. Um, I was listening to a podcast uh, just this week, actually, uh, about the Gospel of Luke. And one of the things they said on there is, like, the way Luke tells the story is as if uh, there's a stage on which the events are being played out, and behind the stage, they project uh, sepia still images of scenes from the Old Testament. And Luke, well, sometimes it's just a word or two which refers you back to the text of the Old Testament. And it's like these images flash up in quick succession, and a, a, a close reader or an, uh, someone watching very closely spots the links between the Old and the new, and how Jesus is fulfilling all of this that has gone before. And this is what's happening here. At the beginning, it says, on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The circumcision places him in Abraham's family. So already the family which um, was to do this mission of bringing people back to relationship with God, Jesus is part of that family. The next thing it says is... Um, they took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Why are the firstborns consecrated to God? If you remember the story of Exodus or the film of Prince of Egypt, you'll remember that um, the 
fr the, the freedom from Egypt came in the context of a bunch of um, uh, plagues, the last of which was uh, the plague of the death of firstborn sons. And the Israelites' children were uh, delivered from that. The angel of death passed over. And when they get out into the desert, I think it's Exodus 13, if you want to check, when they get out of uh, Egypt into the desert, God says, I saved those firstborn sons, so they're mine now. And so you'll consecrate all of your firstborn sons to me because I have saved your firstborn sons. So the idea of being a firstborn son and of this consecration is related to freedom from slavery. And so Luke here is contextualizing Jesus that way. There's also later in uh, the first five books of the Bible, in I think Numbers 3, I think, um, the firstborns are then swapped out for one of the tribes. They're swapped out for the Levites. And so instead of the firstborns being consecrated, although they do still do this kind of ritually, the firstborns, uh, no, the Levites came and became the priests. And so that whole tribe became the priests. And so not only is Jesus related to the saviour, the, the freedom from captivity and the salvation of Israel, he's also related to uh, the priestly class and to that, um, those rituals of sacrifice bringing access to a relationship with God. And Luke's doing all of this work in these first few verses um, of this passage. And... This morning, we've brought Arthur and um, Ida and Amos to be dedicated, just as Mary and Joseph brought Jesus. And obviously, in the run-up to this, knowing that Arthur, my son, was going to be dedicated, um, I've been thinking a lot about what this means to me as a parent. And... I think what I've been seeing here is that this is a way of linking, Christ here is linked in with the, the history and the story of Israel. And it's about contextualizing Jesus within that story and not just being within it, but being the next step of that story. And we dedicate Arthur and Amos and Ida this morning to put them into this story. We're bringing them in to the story of God's salvation plan for creation. And I think that was uh, a really key part of uh, what we've done this morning. So while they're there, they meet uh, an old man and an old woman called Simeon and, uh, and Anna, who are in many ways representatives of this ancient tradition. And they have been, like the people of Israel, they've been waiting. They've been coming to the temple every day to see, uh, hopefully, to see um, the restoration of the people of God in their mission. And they come day after day after day, year after year, and eventually decade after decade. Anna is at least 84, although the Greek might mean she was a widow for 84 years rather than she was 84 years of age, which would make her at least 105. 
these are very old people and they've been waiting their whole lives. And one day this child comes in and they are filled with joy. Because they realise that the thing that they and the people of Israel have been waiting for, the restoration of the people of God as a light to all nations, has started again. And has, is, is, they won't see what it is Jesus will do, but they're so overjoyed to just see the first step of that next chapter. And we celebrate this morning because Arthur and Ida and Amos are our joy for today. Amina's right there in the front row, and I hope that's not. <laughs> you know, and parenting's, you know, difficult, but it's also, you know, you ask any parent when they're complaining about things their child has done, if you say, would you swap it out for not having the child? The answer is always the same. It's no, because our children are our joy for today. I've prepared a 90-point presentation about why Arthur is my joy. <laughs> but I think we're a little low on time. The dedication's overrun, so I'm, I'm going to have to leave that one. Um, also, I think parents' joy in their children tends to be out of proportion to other people's joy in their children. <laughs> um, but children are our joy for today. They are the inheritors of our past, and they are our joy for today. And then Simeon and Anna, who are uh, both uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit as prophets, and the Holy Spirit is very closely related to prophecy, um, and the, the mission of the prophets and Jesus in his um, uh, baptism in the next chapter will become empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is so associated with prophecy in the Old Testament. And these two are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they begin to prophesy. It's not just about the past, it's not just about today, it's also about the future. And they say, Anna, we don't hear what she actually says. There's no uh, direct speech. But you see that upwelling of joy in her. This baby comes in and it says, um, uh, coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And it's like she sees this child and she comes over and she's so happy and she goes out into the temple courtyard and into the city beyond and she's like, I've seen him. The one we've been waiting for. She's so old. But she's seen the salvation of Israel come at last. She's so happy. She goes and tells everyone. We get a bit more of uh, Simeon's um, direct speech. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. because he'd been promised that he wouldn't die until he saw the saviour of Israel. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. One day... All of the adults in this room, Matthew knows what I'm going to say, all of the adults in this room will be dead. That caused quite a stir at the 9.30 service with our older <laughs> members. Uh, <laughs> um, although, as I said to them, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. That's, you know. 
Uh, one day we will all be dead. And our children will continue the work of God beyond where we can take it. We will run the race so far and then we hand the torch on to them and they take it forward. And so our children are not just the inheritors of our past, not just our joy for today, but they're our hope for tomorrow. They're a hope which comes, as Simeon recognises, with some sorrow. It's an odd thing to see someone bringing their child for dedication and to speak to them about the hardships which lie ahead. Sorry, I mean, <laughs> sorry, Liz. And where's Becky? Is she here? Oh, yeah, she went to the screen. But our children will disappoint us. Our children will make us cry. Our children will have things which happen to them which will make us cry. Sometimes our children will be doing the right thing, the thing which God has called them to do, and we won't understand or it will be painful and it will make us cry. But they're taking the kingdom of God forward. And so even in that sadness and in that hardship, it's our hope. And so Matthew said to me during the dedications, why have you brought Arthur to be dedicated? And that's why. Because the torch which Christ um, took up here and in his ministry, which Anna and Simeon passed on to him. He passed on to his disciples. And his disciples passed it on to St. Paul. And St. Paul passed it on to the early churches in, that we meet in the, 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 his letters. And they passed it on to the early Christian martyrs who endured unimaginable torture and um, punishment just for being Christians. And they pass it on to uh, the scholars of the Middle Ages um, who sat by candlelight in little monastic cells coming up with theology which we still use today. And they pass it on to the, uh, the reformers, to, to Martin Luther and to John Calvin, to the early Baptists uh, and nonconformists, um, to the Wesley brothers um, to the Victorian missionaries and social reformers who brought such a transformation uh, into the law of this land and into the, the broader mission of the church. And they passed it on to the previous generation, kind of Christians of the uh, 20th century who have passed it on to whoever it is the oldest person in this room is, who passed it on to our parents. My mum and dad are there. We've got the families of the Slaters and the... Um, uh, Horrible parallels ours. Um, sorry. Um, they pass it on to us. And now today, we pass it on to Ida, to Amos, and to Arthur. 
and I wonder who they'll pass it on to. People I'll never know about or see because they take the baton far beyond us into a future which I cannot know. But this is my prayer, the prayer that Jesus said as he passed his torch on to his disciples, that he would be with us always and with Amos and Arthur and Ida always until the very end of this age. Amen.